Welcome to World is Burning, uh, the podcast for your climate anxiety. I feel like today, if you're listening to this on the day that it comes out, it's definitely a good day to get a little bit of um, anxiety relief. Yeah, which, yeah, I don't know if I'll actually help that much with it, but it it's, I feel like my story is, there's a lot of feelings, so let's yeah, feel, feel them all out. <laughs> a lot of things to process. Um, I'm Olivia Hamilton. And I'm Elise Nye. And yeah, we we have some crazy stories for you. We're kind of going off even despite the fact that it is um, the like day that it is in the start of this new, finally, this new chapter for the U.S., even though mm-hmm. um, it's not going to solve everything. But I wanted to start off with a couple of just like good, exciting things that we can like look forward to during this time. Um, so I have a couple and I know you have a couple too. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first is that Deb Holland is going to become the U.S. Secretary of the Interior, which means she will be the first Native American to run the Department of the Interior, which is responsible for the management and conservation of federal la- land and things like the Bureau of Land Management, National Park Service, and the Bureau of Indian Affairs. So that's super exciting. It's actually pretty crazy that the the Bureau of Indian Affairs and, you know, all of these things that have to do with um, Native land that we've stolen has never been led by a Native American person. So I'm very happy that she's she's going to be a part of Joe mm-hmm. Biden's cabinet. And then another was that Joe Biden on day one. Uh, so today, again, if you're listening to this on the day, um, his plan is to rescind a permit for the Keystone XL pipeline, which has been a long, long, years long, uh, mm-hmm. I guess, debate. Is that the right word? Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's a little bit more intense than a debate. Like, it seems like a struggle. Like, yeah. I don't know. It's intense. This The back and forth and this desire to invest more and more money in fossil fuels um, in a way that is not productive to like renewable energy and a clean economy. Um, So that's exciting. And then also just getting Donald Trump out of office. It's like white supremacist leader and his cabinet out of office and hopefully impeaching him for a second time so that he can he can never run again. Yeah. Which like it kind of feels a little bit annoying that we're kind of in a spot where we can like move forward and like help people through the pandemic and mm-hmm. like so much stuff and then like we still have to spend energy on on Trump but like right. i hope that he also is held accountable actually mm-hmm. because the amount of times he's not been held accountable is just like freaking insane yeah and it's just been it's been an exhausting four years. It's been an exhausting time. And so, like, I'm trying even through all the, like, trauma and grief and horrible things that have to do with the pandemic and this time and, like, the climate in the world, I'm trying to, like, have joy and these really exciting things that are happening, like, yeah. in this moment, too. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. Yeah. I guess it's all about balance. Yeah. And obviously, like, we kind of skipped over it last week just because, like, there was so much happening. but. The fact that uh, John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock won their races in Georgia and how that Mm -hmm. means there's like a slight uh, left leaning skew to Congress. Yeah. Is really exciting. Which is massive. Yeah. Yeah. All the things we've talked about with climate, anything that like 
we're hopefully working towards Green New Deal-wise, et cetera. Any little pieces of that will be a lot more, like, possible mm-hmm. now that Congress is more Democrat-leaning. Yeah. Yeah, and that celebration kind of got taken away from us with the, <laughs> the riots. I mean, literally, that was announced in the morning yeah, and then fuck. a couple hours later that it was 24 hours because like yeah the day before too I was like I especially after like refreshing and refreshing and refreshing the mm-hmm. presidential race I feel like so many people were doing that then I was just like I can't get my hopes up about Georgia and like yeah like good vibes their way but like uh I I'm not gonna like like hold yeah, out hope look you know at the needles I mean? like, again uh and then like it happened like i'm like like i remember sitting like later at night like looking at the results being like holy shit like uh Uh, and yeah just like that feeling in the morning it was just like oh my goodness and then yeah you were all there (laughs) yeah that was yeah but fucking wild 24 hours like so yeah so wild and it's just one of those things where you're like wow i can actually like really be excited about this thing and then it's just like nope yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember like I just like the morning news and then I remember just like sitting down like, OK, now I'm going to be like productive with my day. And then I was mm-hmm. like, hold on. Yeah. I feel like I need to just like pay attention to the news for three seconds. I guess the rest of the day is shot. Uh, yeah. So here's to fewer days like that. Maybe. Hopefully. Hopefully. And yeah, like hopefully there's a lot to uh look forward to um there's a 350 org meeting tonight for like for like the austin chapter um oh, that's cool. all about um like holding joe biden accountable for like all like any mm. climate promises he's made and all that stuff um so i'm hoping to sit out sit in on that later today so um yeah i know that's been a big topic of conversation just like holding Joe Biden accountable and then like okay now that he's elected like how are we actually going to do that so I know that's a topic of conversation um with uh like 350 Austin so Mm -hmm. if like you (laughs) want to hold Joe Biden accountable or like find ways to actually do that other than just like tweeting your thoughts um Mm -hmm. maybe see if you can like look at your local chapter Yeah. Yeah. I went to um, my first actually my first ever climate specific, uh, not quite protest, but um, gathering. I went to the no compromises, no excuses for new Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer Mm -hmm. um, demonstration organized by Sunrise NYC and a couple of other organizations. And so I recently I've talked about on the podcast before I um, started going to the meetings for Sunrise NYC, which has been great because I'm, you know, new to the city and trying to figure out ways to like get involved but also that are safe in terms of the pandemic Mm -hmm. and it's been really cool I like signed up to be a welcome person so I was signing people in and stuff um which I thought would be a good way to like get to know people and it kind of was but I also went by myself and Mm -hmm. I love going to a lot of things by myself but sometimes going to demonstrations where everyone else has a friend it can be Mm -hmm. definitely tough um but it was it was great. Like all the people were really nice. And I know that, um, you know, when I go back again, I'll I'll see some familiar faces. And um, yeah, it's just it's just a cool thing. And it's also 
so nice to be like physically surrounded at a distance by people who are really passionate about the same thing that you are and that are in fact organizing specifically for the area that you live in um yeah so I I definitely think that and like yeah 350 are just really cool things we also there were there's these bikers they're uh, not motorcycles like bicycle riders there's riders for rights and riders for black lives I think they're two separate things but they will come to different demonstrations and like lead you through the streets Okay. And so it was so cool. We like walked from Grand Army Plaza to, you know, two blocks away where Chuck Schumer lives. And they like led us there through this really complicated intersection. And yeah, it's just cool. Yeah, that's awesome. So should we jump into your story? Yeah, let's do it. So obviously this week is there's just like a lot of like political things happening, a lot of political things to look forward to. So this week, we're going to talk a little about like political drama. Uh, And I will specifically be getting into the whole will they, won't they between Joe Biden and fracking. (laughs) So so, uh, which, get ready. So my sources are CNN, New York Times, National Geographic, Washington Post, U.S. Geological Survey, Earth Justice, MSNBC, and E&E News. Uh, if you remember from the last presidential debate last year, that was just like an absolute fucking shit show. Um, hmm. Biden said that he never opposed fracking. And then Trump responded with, you said it on tape. So after that, the internet kind of exploded with like climate-minded people being like, you know, fracking is bad, right? Um, And then kind of a similar discussion happened around the vice presidential debate uh, where kind of like similar things were said. Mm -hmm. Um, So what's the deal? For a little fact checking, it was false that Biden said he never opposed fracking, according to CNN. Um, In 2019, he said he would make sure it's eliminated. And then in 2020, he said he opposed new fracking and... While Biden's plan doesn't include a full ban on fracking or new fracking, it proposes banning new oil and gas permitting on public lands and waters. Hmm. Um, And then kind of before the main, you know, presidential discussion back in the primaries, he also kind of caused a bit of confusion when he was asked, would there be any place for fossil fuels, including coal and fracking in a Biden administration? And he responded, and this is a a Joe Biden quote, so it's a little all over the place, but it's fine. (laughs) Um, He responded, yes, he responded, no, we would, we would work it out. We would make sure it's eliminated and no more subsidies for either one of those, either any fossil fuel. (laughs) So if that if that clears anything up, uh, but <laughs> thank God for our new eloquent president. <laughs> yep. Who I actually uh, do find very eloquent in comparison. Yeah. I mean, he I feel like especially like I don't I don't know, like he's he seems like really energized lately. Mm-hmm. But uh, so after he said that his campaign clarified that he supports eliminating subsidies for coal and gas and deployed carbon capture. However, uh, he did say he was against new fracking when challenged by Bernie Sanders in a debate last March, which hmm. his campa- campaign had to come out again and kind of clarify 
that uh, Biden was reiterating his plan to ban oil and gas permits on public land, not a complete ban on new fracking, which a president can't do, which I feel like that's kind of an important thing. Like mm-hmm. a president can't just like ban all fracking like Congress needs to get involved. Like it's very complicated. Uh, it also depends on like where the fracking is happening. So like a president can say let's ban fracking, but like the president cannot do it mm-hmm. alone by any means. But yeah, so generally there's a lot of confusion on like Joe Biden's fracking messaging, but yeah, I think it's kind of interesting that it is kind of a gotcha question, no matter uh, how you answer, whether uh, just because people want like a yes or no, like, are you for or against it? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think like a nuanced answer should be a little more acceptable because like trying to answer one way or the other causes a lot of confusion when there's a lot of process and money to take into account. Right. Yeah, it's tough, though, because, like, yeah. nuance is not handled very well No, in political messaging. It just it's gets, not. like, watered down and watered down, and then... Yeah, and then, yeah. like, and I think part of that watering down causes a lot of confusion. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I don't know, like, I'm obviously not a politician, but, but, yeah, I think that's a big part of why it was so confusing, because it's like, yes, like, I'd love to move away from it, but, like, also Congress, and, like, I don't necessarily have the power, but, like, Mm, who knows Mm -hmm. but yeah but anyway since there wasn't necessarily a strong yes um and since there have been ties between fracking and intense water pollution and earthquakes on top of needing to get away from fossil fuels in order to not destroy the planet well why does it seem so controversial to outright say that you're totally against fracking Mm mm-hmm And in order to get a better feel for what fracking looks like in practice, I want to take a little look at Oklahoma. So there's been a huge expansion of oil, uh, the oil and gas industry in Oklahoma in the past 10 or so years. Um, And much of it is because of fracking. Uh, And a large amount is specifically happening within uh, Pawnee Nation. And there's definitely a little bit of shadiness uh, happening and how that came to be. Um, There are instances in which regulators have approved oil and gas leases on Pawnee lands and then said the Pawnee couldn't take the issue to court because they didn't challenge the leases when they were issued. But it turns out that the Pawnee were never notified. uh, Hmm. So there was no way that they could have challenged the leases in that that point in the process and like it wasn't announced in the newspaper it wasn't really public knowledge so like how was anyone supposed to like know that that it happened yeah um and like the whole thing came uh like a member of the Pawnee Nation was like walking outside and saw like little like flags stuck in the ground and was like what's going on here and had to do like Mm -hmm. digging and like calling of oil companies and stuff and like eventually figured it out but most of those like questionable leases were thrown out, but fracking is like super pervasive on their land um, and it's causing a myriad of issues. Um, okay. Yeah. What the hell? That yeah. makes me so mad. Yeah. So just wait till you get more mad. Uh, <laughs> uh, so one of the scariest things to me is that Oklahoma has become one of the world's biggest earthquake hubs. Uh mm-hmm. 
so at least like when I think of earthquakes in the United States, I think a lot about California. Like that's the first thing that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. But in 2014, Oklahoma, which is half the size of California, had three times as many earthquakes. Um, so oh. <laughs> just to put that into perspective, here's kind of how that escalated. So although Oklahoma typically experienced about like from around like zero to a couple magnitude three or greater earthquakes annually, the rate of of earthquakes shot up to 20 in 2009. Um, And then in 2013, uh, Oklahoma had 109 such earthquakes, followed by 579 in 2014, 903 in 2015 and 623 in 2016. So, wow. in other words, Oklahoma went from having, like, kind of, like, two sizable earthquakes a a year, kind of max. Uh, Mm -hmm. It went from that to a year to two or three a day. And, like, that, like, I don't know if (laughs) that freaks you out. In a span of, what, 15 years? It started in twenty like two thousand nine when fracking started getting really big. This is in wow. a matter of like four or five years. Wow! Like, so it's like something is happening. So like that just like, I feel like that is like the like tooth falling out anxiety dream of climate facts for mm-hmm. me. Like it just like makes me want to throw up. Also, that we had no idea. Like, I mean, I'm assuming I didn't know that. I didn't at know all. That <laughs> Like, just the fact that, like, people are doing something that, like, literally shakes the earth and is, like, making it move in unexpected and unnatural ways. Just, like, mm-hmm. I, like that just fucks me up. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Like, and it also, I mean, with all of these things, and, like, we talked about this last week with water pollution and everything, it's those companies are only going to take liability for what they absolutely, absolutely have to because mm-hmm. they, they will just be like, oh, you know. Yeah, that's just the 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 nature around here or whatever. Like, yeah, blame on anything else. Yeah. So like a big thing is like Oklahoma has a lot of tornadoes. So like that's kind of the main thing that people have been like traditionally focused on or whatever Mm. in terms of like natural disasters or whatever. And so people are now like starting to be more worried about the earthquakes and like it's the kind of thing where it's become so routine that like the little ones aren't a problem but like big ones like it's it's just crazy that it's become like kind of like I hate this phrase because it's overused but like the new normal like Mm -hmm. it's just like I don't know that just like people causing earthquakes so okay I'm gonna get more into like (laughs) the details of why and how but uh, so the practice of fracking itself is it does correspond to earthquakes a, a little bit, but it's specifically the disposal of wastewater from fracking and some other oil activities that causes the majority of the earthquakes. Huh. Um, so like this National Geographic uh, quote explains exactly what's happening really well. So uh, fracking involves shooting a high pressure stream of water, sand, and chemicals into the ground to release gas from shale. Uh, but in the process, hazardous fracking fluid and toxically salty water rise to the surface as well. So to dispose of this dangerous waste, companies pump it down 
a different opening deeper under the shale to rest permanently in a well of porous rock. So basically pumping all of that shit down there uh, is more than the earth can like physically take. And it Mm -hmm. gets so full that it causes the fault lines to shift. And fault lines that have like commonly occurring uh, like shifts and cause like natural earthquakes those fault lines are studied and under understood better so like in california like people have a better understanding of like how those fault lines work but in places like oklahoma where earthquakes aren't really common and have never really been a big deal there aren't there isn't as much scientific knowledge around those faults Mm. so people didn't have any understanding of how pumping 1.5 billion barrels of wastewater into the ground which is what they'd done by 2014 how that was going to affect the fault lines they were just pumping it down there um yeah and you also like at least when i think of fracking you before i really understood what it was i think of it just as extraction which it Mm -hmm. is it's extracting natural or fossil fuels but also that like pumping of all of that water into there is Mm -hmm. not something i feel like we hear about as much yeah yeah. So and and again, like it's it's like disposal of wastewater. So like if there was a different way, like if that water was cleaned or like processed in a different way, like fracking might like not really like for some reasons it absolutely would be controversial because it's still going to cause like leaks and whatever. But like it might be way less of a big deal. But because it's just pumped under like it causes tons of issues. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, in response to the link between fracking and earthquakes, Mike Terry of the Oklahoma Independent Petroleum Association said, uh, ultimately, it takes time, it takes data, it takes scientists to figure it out. Uh, So, and that's just like, we don't know about the fracking and the earthquakes. Who knows? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, We need more time to figure it out. But then there's just like continuation of fracking while multiple earthquakes are happening a day yeah Uh, just give us 30 years to figure it out (laughs) figure it out eventually um so uh yeah speaking of using a lack of scientific knowledge to justify the continuation of potentially harmful activities uh which if you listen to last week's episode might some little uh, bells might be ringing uh Mm -hmm. aaron brockovich has actually been helping advocate for the pawnee nation um, and she is helping Pawnee Nation sue Eagle Road Oil LLC, Cummings Oil Company, and 25 other oil and gas companies for damage to its historic governmental buildings and reservation property resulting from what it alleges are human-induced quakes. Um, and I may have touched on this a little bit last week, but um, in response to the quakes and fracking, Andrew Knifechief, who is the executive director of the Pawnee Nation, said that if an earthquake comes through here and destroys the buildings, we can rebuild. But if you pollute our water, we're done. And we have warning signs and indications that our waterways are becoming more polluted. Mm. Um, Which, like, obviously, if wastewater containing harmful substances from fracking is being pumped into the ground, there's a big chance that even if it isn't happening immediately, um, that that will that water is eventually going to get into drinking water supplies. Mm-hmm. And as we learned from last week's episode, once water in an area is contaminated, it's really hard to decontaminate it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Knife Chief also said that 
We are not anti-oil and gas. We are not anti-using our land's resources. What we are trying to push back against is the irresponsible production of oil and gas and the irresponsible disposal of wastewater. So yeah, I guess all that to say, other than the fact that we know the earth can't take much more burning of fossil fuels for carbon emission reasons, Mm -hmm. uh, it seems like it really comes down to the irresponsible practices and willful ignorance that make fracking such an issue and like a health concern to the people in the surrounding area. Yeah. So we did start this episode off with some good news. Mm -hmm. Um, And there is a little bit more. Uh, So last July, the Supreme Court ruled that Um, Much of eastern Oklahoma remains an American Indian reservation, which means um, I'm I'm not entirely sure how it came to like people came to like question that other than just being really annoying and bad. Um, But like they kind of like reaffirmed that uh, that land is kind of under the jurisdiction of indigenous people. Um, which means a lot of decision making when it comes to oil and gas regulations um, is being taken out of the hands of state lawmakers, which are more friendly to oil. And it's being put in the hands of indigenous decision makers as well as the federal government. So especially now that Congress is a little bit more left leaning, hopefully we'll see a lot um more land and like people who live on the land protected from mm-hmm. people who just like see kind of life as kind of disposable when there's a profit to be made. So that that is a little bit of good news. Hopefully we'll see a little more protections and regulations and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. It also makes me hopeful that with Deb Holland like at the front, you know, as mm-hmm. the secretary of the interior, that indigenous land rights are going to be a number one priority which I was just because I was I wasn't really sure what secretary of the interior meant so I went Mm -hmm. on the current um department of the interior website Mm -hmm. and you know looked at the current guy who's only been there maybe like a year and a half because someone else resigned and you know there's no mention of native land rights except on the the general page but on his page there's there's nothing about that it's all about you know supporting park police and hunting and a little bit about conservation, but not in an intersectional way that you would um, want in this day and age require, I guess. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's just like something that's like really interesting to watch, I guess. And like, that's something to kind of like keep tabs on as we move forward. um, And like, we're watching Biden's climate actions and just like how everything kind of unfolds. But yeah, I could keep going on and on forever about how insane fracking is and just like other crazy things that are happening. I will include some other things like on our our uh, website that I'm not going to specifically get into. Um, but I did find, which again, I will include this on our website. Um, I did find a fraccidence map which hmm. uh, I found it on a page about like specifically about Oklahoma, but then like you can zoom out and look at it for the entire U.S. and it links like all these little like pinpoints on the map. And if you click on those points, it will pull up like a description of the incident that hmm. happened. So that could be a spill of some sort or documented pollution or an explosion where people were harmed. 
Um, and then it links to news articles so you can kind of like verify what happened and get the details. So mm-hmm. that's just kind of like cool to visualize on top of like general fracking concerns, like specific incidents um, that also kind of like maybe were the result of not taking precautions um, mm-hmm. and making sure things are safe. And I also watched Gasland Part 2, which oh. I highly recommend. I was going to try to watch Gasland Part 1, but like I think the only way to watch it is on iTunes and I don't have that set up properly. So I would just watch Gasland Part 2, which is kind of just like <laughs> an even more in-depth look. And yeah, I highly recommend watching that. I think it's on HBO and Amazon Prime. Um, yeah, I think I watched the original Gaslight because I rewatched it recent, like a couple of months ago recently. Mm-hmm. And I think I watched it on YouTube. So not okay. the best quality or the best, you know, rights for people. But that was where <laughs> I found it, just to be honest. Um, and I haven't watched part two, but that's cool. Yeah. I need to find that. Yeah. So like it's it's like really, really crazy. Like and also just like the amount of gaslighting that happens. Mm-hmm. is insane it's like literally like like people's garden hoses spewing flames and they're like mm-hmm. i think we have a problem here and then the gas company's like until they absolutely have to acknowledge something they're like you're fine and it's yeah, just they're like, like oh or they'll be like that's naturally occurring that's mm-hmm. just it's naturally occurring that when I light a match <laughs> to my faucet it comes out in flames like literally explodes yeah. So yeah, uh, just like visualize a garden hose spewing flames. And like with that in mind, I want to come back to the main question, which mm-hmm. is if frac- like the effects of fracking are so obviously felt and seen and experienced, why the fuck is it so controversial to say that you're against it? Mm-hmm. Um, now... The obvious is that there's a lot of money in it and it provides a lot of jobs, which I was listening to the 2020 reflection episode of Hot Take. Mm-hmm. Um, and Amy Westervelt said that a PR uh, consulting firm called FTI is behind a lot of the kind of but what about jobs narrative. Mm-hmm. So I was like, OK, I need to dig a little bit deeper into that. So it turns out that there are a bunch of grassroots seeming groups run by employees of FDI, including Texans for Natural Gas, Citizens to Protect Pennsylvania Jobs, New Mexicans for Economic Prosperity, the Liberty Energy Project, and the Arctic Energy Center that are all funded by oil companies like ExxonMobil. Mm-hmm. Um, and these groups are obviously super pro everything oil company uh so for example like texans for natural gas has downplayed the magnitude of emissions of methane from oil and gas production and then fti also makes fake facebook profiles to monitor protesters and there's a group within fti called stratcom which studied and developed strategies designed to influence public discourse so basically uh, with these strategies, FTI employees will go on social media with fake profiles and comment with different assigned roles to clog up the feed with just like random shit and like bad grammar. Mm-hmm. So that basically just like ruins any actual like productive conversation around oil and gas. Yeah, or credibility of the people that are part of it, right? Yeah. So it 
like there are like a bunch of like they'll literally go on like and each person has like an assigned role whether it's to like just confuse things or just like spatially just block up so it's hard to understand um and yeah just basically like ruin whatever is happening so yeah uh with all of that oil company backed face grassroots behavior and weird social media disruption a lot of discourse around oil and gas has become super confused um and the but what about jobs idea is kind of the thing that comes out of it for a lot of people so uh yeah that that's also just like a really interesting rabbit hole to go down yeah you're gonna love my my story (laughs) yeah i'm setting you up not to plug my own half of the podcast but you're gonna (laughs) love it because i'm gonna talk more about that here we go or maybe Uh, you're gonna hate it i guess yeah we'll hate it but like yeah that's a big part of why like when biden says he or when he has said that he's against fracking or against fracking in a certain capacity or is looking to put more regulations or, you know, monitor it in a certain way or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's why people lose their minds um, partially because, yeah, there's just like a lot of money being pumped into the idea that oil and gas is good, good for people, good for I saw uh, like the word like mom and pop investors thrown around a lot. so. Just yeah. like <laughs> again, or just like using terms like yeah, mom and pop or grassroots in ways that like completely render those terms meaningless. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, and like I also I love the term um astroturfing as like fake gas grassroots mm-hmm. things like things that look like they're grassroots but they're paid for by oil companies or rich people. Yep. So. Yeah, I just think that's so interesting. And like, definitely, if you see a fact, make sure you know where it's coming from. Because if it's from anywhere, any one of those uh, things, it's just like PR spin for paid for by giant companies. Yep. So, whew, yeah. So yeah. that's that's uh, the fracking situation in a nutshell. Yeah. There, yeah, there are some really, again, some like extra extras I'll put on the website that are just like kind of mind-blowing because there's just so many effects and like side effects of the oil and gas boom in certain areas and yeah it's it's really crazy and yeah and it's also it's really interesting like and I mean horrifying when you talk about there's so much energy that's put on just the basic Cuban decency of not putting these pipelines straight through uh reservation land Mm -hmm. and that you have to spend so much energy like especially with keystone access like that's been a big one but Mm -hmm. keystone xl now too and other pipelines as well there's so much energy that's just put on that but like if they go around it it costs them more money it's longer and it's also still contaminating all of this land and probably Mm -hmm. contaminating the people who are working so hard to not have it run straight through their own communities because it's contaminating everything around it and the water and everything. So, like, yeah. even just living close to one of these, yeah, you're going to have earthquakes and horrible water pollution and all of these other effects that we might not even be aware of. Yeah. I don't want to spread stuff because I obviously am not an expert in fracking, but, like, yeah. it's just really horrifying to to hear about. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's really crazy. And, again, like, I would – like, if you just want to sit down and, like, watch something for, like, an hour and a half or whatever, like, that gas land – stuff is is really crazy because mm-hmm. it's like even like our house is literally filled with gas like it's gonna explode <laughs> like, like right. stuff like that where it's like 
obviously. And then like breathing that in is clearly also not good for you. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it's really, really crazy. Yeah. And so, yeah, to think that even just the idea of banning new fracking is so controversial is just kind of wild, but that actually leads quite well into my story which is um, focused on the deception dossiers, the climate deception dossiers, um, which are called, uh, the subtitle is Internal Fossil Fuel Industry Memos Revealed Decades of Corporate Disinformation. Um, So this is a document from the Union of Concerned Scientists uh, from July 2015. So I'll give you a couple updates on certain things since, because a lot has happened since this was published in July of 2015. But the lead authors on it were Kathy Mulvey and Seth Schulman. And I found out about this document through a Climate Town video on carbon offsets that I think we actually mentioned a couple of months ago. It's a really mm-hmm. hilarious educational video. Climate Town also just like went viral on Reddit and stuff. So they've been doing quite well, which is very well deserved because they're really well produced videos. But anyways, they mentioned this just kind of in passing Mm-hmm. And I was like, I need to learn everything. So I read the whole document for all of us and we'll, we'll go through it. And I'll just kind of give you the there's seven main. They call them deception dossiers, uh, but they all kind of build on each other. So um, the document starts by pointing out that the current chair at the time in 2015 um, of the U.S. Senate Committee on Environment and Public Works um, is U.S. Senator James Inhofe from Oklahoma, he had called uh, climate change a hoax. And actually, Inhofe um, served as the chair until 2017, and he was also the chair of the same committee during like Bush era 2003 to 2007. And so, yeah, he had reputedly famously called climate change a hoax. And the Union of Concerned Scientists is like, no, there is a hoax surrounding climate change, but it's not the one that you're referring to. It's the this decades of deception from fossil fuel companies to, quote, knowingly distort climate findings, deceive the public, and block policies designed to hasten our needed transition to a clean energy economy. So that's just, I think that's just a good way to set it in your mind is like mm-hmm. the, the so much of what they're trying to do is just promote disinformation, create this manufactured sense of uncertainty, and delay any um any like true action just just all is about like smoke and mirrors essentially yeah Um, so the dossiers were compiled from internal documents some leaked some through lawsuits which reminded me of rob balat and dupont and how like got loads and loads of information from them that they didn't even know Mm -hmm. they were sending and then also through some requests through the freedom of information act and so the goal was to show of the document, the goal was to show why fossil fuel companies need to stop manufacturing this doubt and then how to hold them accountable. So I'll get to some of those things at the end, too, because I think that's really important to think about. And then also just to put this into perspective. So in 2015, when this was published, five of the top six companies in the Fortune Global 500 were in the petroleum refining industry, which included ExxonMobil, BP and Shell. And I checked for the end of 2020, and it's very similar. Royal Dutch Shell is number five. China National Petroleum is number four. Saudi Aramco and BP are six and eight. Um, ExxonMobil is recently out of the top 10, but I, hmm. they were like number seven in, in 2019. So it's not like something super massive has happened. 
Um, also, just looking at that global 500 was very disturbing because, you mm-hmm. know, Walmart is number one and Amazon is recently number nine. And number two is also a company I hadn't heard of called Sinopec, S-I-N-O-P-E-C, which are also an oil and okay. gas company. Okay. So it's an industry that's super, super concentrated. Um, the dossiers cite a 2014 study that said just 90 companies have produced the fossil fuels and cement responsible for almost two-thirds of carbon emissions, and 50 of those 90 companies are investor-owned. So that's just like such a small number of companies for such a massive amount of emissions, and more than half of those emissions have been released since 1988, um, which is kind of coincides with when the science became irrefutable. There's like The IPCC was created in 1988. There was like a New York Times headline talking about global warming. Um, This NASA scientist going to Congress, forget his name, but like that's kind of when all the science was becoming irrefutable and that's when emissions started going up and up and up. Mm. But even like there's an internal document from Exxon that's not one of the dossiers that said um, the scientific basis for the greenhouse effect and the potential impact on human emissions of greenhouse gases such as CO2, on climate is well-established and cannot be ignored. So in the 90s, they they full-on knew that this was was happening, it was real, Mm. all of that. So that brings me to our first dossier, which is Dr. Wei Hock Soon's Smithsonian contract. Um, He goes by Willie Soon. So in 2015... The documents were released that revealed the extent um, to which ExxonMobil and other powerful fossil fuel interests secretly funded a purportedly independent contrarian climate scientist for more than a decade. And also what makes that even worse is that he was, um, you know, doing his research at the Smithsonian Institute and he was using his association with the Smithsonian Institute to kind of gain this credibility um, Mm -hmm. while also getting all of this money from the fossil fuel industry. So soon received more than 1.2 million in research funding between 2001 and 2012 from fossil fuel interests, including ExxonMobil, the American Petroleum Institute, the Charles Koch Foundation, and Southern Company, which is a large electric utility in Atlanta um, that generates most of its power from coal, taking this all from the document. Mm-hmm. So all of these people, and Soon's background is actually in aerospace engineering, um, not in climate science, but he's been known for the last few decades to specifically producing reports on climate denial. So basically, um, there was this like all these revelations that this money might, might not be coming from where they thought it would be. Um, and the mm-hmm. Smithsonian Institute launched an investigation into its disclosure and funding policies. But Since he wasn't paid by the Smithsonian, he was paid exclusively from grants that he was receiving. Um, Mm. His entire salary and research budget were coming from these grants. And so the Smithsonian Institute entered into funding agreements that gave Soon's funders the right to review his scientific studies before they were published. And documents also show that the Smithsonian agreed not to disclose the funding arrangement without the funder's permission. So... Um, they, that's double negative, but they agreed to like not disclose the funding agreement without the funder's permission. So basically they Mm -hmm. had complete control. They knew what the study was going to say before it was published. And then they had complete control over whether or not, um, their funding was disclosed. So 
Um, politicians and interest groups backed by the fossil fuel industry have promoted Soon's work for years in order to spread doubt um, about, you know, the human role in climate change, um, including mm-hmm. Senator Inhofe, who I talked about before, who was the chair of the U.S. Senate Committee on Environment and Public Works. He often cited Soon, and because of his association with the Smithsonian. There's just like this air of credibility that they could use that yeah. as like, well, if the Smithsonian is associated with this research, it must have some sort of veracity. But yeah, but the fact that he was paid by fossil fuel interests was never publicly disclosed in his published work or testimony to lawmakers. Um, so yeah, and it was also the Harvard Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics that he like published most of these papers under. So mm-hmm. also adding in the credibility of Harvard prestige, I guess, of Harvard. It just allowed him to publish 11 papers um, that omit any disclosure of the conflict of interest. So that's just one. And that's kind of like part of a larger pattern of using climate denier science in order to create this, like, like I said, manufactured uncertainty um, where there's actually a consensus between respected scientists. There's been a long time that like most um, people in the scientific community have not supported Soon's work, um, have raised a lot of questions about, um, you know, his methods and his conclusions and all of that. Uh, but the, just them being able to continuously use this and us not knowing that it was funded by fossil fuel industry themselves is is crazy. Yeah. And it's I mean, it's also a big thing that like kind of like the fossil fuel industry kind of normalize the idea of like needing to share both sides of an argument Mm -hmm. even even if there is like much more scientific consensus on one side like we need to be fair to like give the other side like a valid point even if like their points aren't necessarily uh, valid (laughs) yeah that's the right word but like it just gives them the power to frame the argument in that way too which wastes so much of our time yeah, like opposing ideas aren't always equally valid is kind of what I'm trying to say. Yep, yep. And so there's also some some elements of Soon's contract that suggest strongly that it was part of a broader pattern of deception. So more than 400000 of Soon's funding came from Southern Company, um, which Southern Company was represented by Robert Gary. Um, who's a fossil fuel industry operative um, with a long history of promoting misinformation about climate science. And he was like instrumental in steering all this money towards soon. Um, Southern Company gave um, even more money to him between 2005 and 2012, gave him soon almost $350,000. And uh, some of this money was also coming from ExxonMobil, Coke Industries, and Donors Trust, which is like a dark money group that doesn't reveal its funders and somehow that's allowed, but it's known to like support a lot of right-wing causes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, basically it, 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 was, it was a signal that there might be a lot more happening underneath the surface. Okay. Which Can is I just kind it? of terrifying can i do a uh, a quick a quick plug of the book that i'm reading yeah uh so i'm like halfway through it right now but like if if like what olivia is saying is kind of like piquing your interest mm-hmm. there's a book called dark money by jane mayer oh um that is all about that it obviously dark money and like it's a lot about how like the Koch family and other like extremely wealthy 
uh, American families have like how they've used their money and like philanthropy uh, to like influence the entire political landscape. And it's mm-hmm. it's so interesting. Ooh, uh, yeah, I want to read and- that. I also really want us to do a whole story on the Koch brothers. That just is very interesting to me. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 wild and interesting, and yeah. But like, if if this is interesting to you, like that book, I've been listening to, and just like what, and yeah. like a lot of it seems like so obvious, and just like of course, uh, but yeah, it's it's crazy to listen to. So. Yeah, yeah, and also so kind of going back to that idea of dark money, you'd think like, okay, this would have to be disclosed. Um, But while companies are required to publicly report on their contributions to political campaigns and their lobbying spending, their funding of public relations firms and nonprofit organizations is a lot more opaque, according to this dossier. So that's just something to keep in mind, too. Although, like, you know, soon had some of his earlier research in like 2003 taken away from a journal because it didn't meet their standards for um, understanding where their money came from. But it's kind of one of those things that it seems like this controversy for this uh, scientist in particular and for other people, like this controversy will come up when there's an instance and then he can just keep on doing his work because he's going to keep getting money from the people he's getting money from. Um, Mm. There was something like where... I, I looked this up to see uh, what was happening now. And the Harvard Smithsonian Institute was like, well, we're not in a place. His job was never in peril. We weren't in a place to fire him because he doesn't get his money from us, which just doesn't make any fucking sense to me. Um, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it seems like the fact that that's like you're you're putting your name on that, like directly or indirectly, like that's what. Like, your name is attached to that information. Mm-hmm. So it seems icky. Yeah. And so one of the lead authors of this, what's his name? Uh, Seth Schulman. He he wrote a book that I really would like to read about the parallels between the tobacco industry strategy and the oil and gas industry fossil fuel strategy, um, mm-hmm. which I know is something you're really interested in. Yeah. Um, Like, just thinking about the way that... Uh, cigarettes and tobacco have been marketed and especially were marketed like a couple of decades ago when science was starting to come out about all of these adverse health effects. So that's going to keep coming up of um, different strategies that like the tobacco industry would use, which also included funding misleading public health research um, that questioned the health risks of smoking. So interesting to see that that parallel there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm just like fascinated by the idea of like how much did someone or like a a company or an entity pay for me or someone else to think a certain thing Mm -hmm. like like, I don't know like putting like like quantifying the monetary value of like thoughts and like beliefs is yeah it it, like (laughs) it's like I don't know like a mind fuck but yeah no I fascinating the more you dig into it I did a whole research project last month about climate change and belief systems and how that was like turned um, how like this this parallel of 1988 being kind of when the science became irrefutable. And then when all of these uh, I'm going to get to some more coalitions and things that come up that 
are really going full force to be like, mm, well, maybe that's not true and just create all this doubt for people so that people don't know what to believe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's so interesting. And as I was doing that research project, I was like, wow, this needs to be a like 600 page book that I am not capable of writing. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Trying to write a 10 page paper. But anyways, um, so that all kind of leads into the second dossier, which is the American Petroleum Institute's Roadmap Memo. Um, So this was an internal strategy document that was written in 1998 um, that was literally a roadmap outlining the fossil fuel industry's plan to use scientists as spokespersons for the industry's views. So yeah, the, the memo was written by a team convened at the API, which included a lot of trade, oil trade association members like all the oil companies that we keep mentioning, BP, ConocoPhillips, Chevron, ExxonMobil, and Shell. Um, and it was just called the Global Climate Science Communications Plan, um, but it was written with direct involvement of fossil fuel companies. Um, so it's just like so obviously uh, biased. And mm-hmm. I-, I guess it's an internal memo, so that's sort of fine. Um, but it-, it details their plan for dealing with climate change um, and is explicitly aimed to confuse and misinform the public. We love that. Um, yep. and according to the memo, um, victory would be achieved for the campaign when quote, average citizens and the media were convinced of uncertainties in climate science, despite overwhelming evidence of the impact of human caused global warming and the nearly unanimous agreement about it in the scientific community. So that was basically their number one goal was just creating this idea of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And like I said before, there was ExxonMobil had um, an internal scientist in 1995 who called this all of this um, evidence of global warming irrefutable, undeniable. Um, but they continue to try and create this pattern of uncertainty so that they can keep making money. And there's an infamous internal memo um, from the Brown and Williamson tobacco companies. This is how they put it. Um, quote, mm-hmm. doubt is our product since it is the best means of competing with the body of fact that exists in the minds of the general public. Just so fucked up. Yeah. Literally thinking of of doubt as a commodity. Um, yeah, that's yeah, that's that's wild. And so, yeah, so given that scientists are a trusted source of information for policymakers and the public, um, it kind of makes sense that the API roadmap calls for cultivating and deploying them. Um, And API's communication team realized that scientists um, seen as spokespeople for the fossil fuel industry would lack credibility. And so they aimed to identify, like, quote unquote, independent scientists um, and then fund them through hidden ties, um, like exactly what happened with Soon. And so according to the leak memo, it said, these will be individuals who do not have a long history of visibility and or participation in the climate change debate. Rather, this team will consist of new faces who add their voices to those recognized scientists who are already vocal. Um, so that's kind of creepy, too. Like they're not going for the already the denial people because maybe they know that those people don't really have any credibility, but they're trying to find other people that add more voices to the crowd. Mm-hmm. And like, it sounds like uh, they can kind of like, s- like craft 
what they're releasing. If if from what you were saying before, like they can like approve things, they have to approve things before they're released or whatever or shared, mm-hmm. published. Um, like they can kind of craft the narrative that that person is like scientifically releasing from start to finish. Yeah. Yeah. And they also wanted all of these to go out into peer peer reviewed papers. Um, mm-hmm. Exactly. So that people would have that that sense of doubt. So there's a whole bunch of other stuff in here. I'm going, I I regret doing this. I'm going through just the highlights of the paper because I was like, oh, it's too much to put it all into, um, you know, my my specific notes like I usually do. So anyways, I'm trying to to go through everything because there's a lot. Um, I actually might put my highlighted version of this document on the website because, uh, yeah, it's just actually crazy. All right, yeah. There's more there's more for this one, but I'm going to skip to the next because like yeah, we could kind of we could truly go okay. into all of these for all the, all day. Yeah. Um actually one more thing about it though. Um so that's all talking about the American P- Petroleum Institute API. Um and in 2009 they attempted to undermine the American Clean Energy and Security Act of 2009, which was known as the Waxman-Markey Climate Bill. Edward Markey mm-hmm. is my senator. Yay. I love him. Um, not to glorify people, but I love him and I regularly comment on Instagram. Just love you. Um, <laughs> and so which was a key federal attempt to regulate carbon emissions. Um, mm-hmm. They tried to undermine that by mobilizing front groups who would hold stage energy citizens rallies in roughly 20 states that were designed to suggest significant public opposition to regulating carbon emissions where little actually existed. And they would even, like, ask their employees to go, which is so embarrassing. (laughs) And, yeah, yeah, it's just disgusting. Um, They've also, in 2011, protested the EPA's decision to regulate carbon pollution under the Clean Air Act. It's it's funny to see, you know, in the, maybe especially in the five years since, six years almost, since this document was published, like, how a lot of oil companies have been trying to turn it around and be like, we care about climate change, but, you know, we're not going to do anything about it or we're going to buy carbon offsets, which doesn't actually um, is not necessarily a horrible effort, but it does not fix the problem in any way because it doesn't actually reduce the amount of carbon going into the atmosphere. Um, Yeah, I saw something where like it was like a carbon capture, like a wind turbine thing hmm. that was Maybe it was, like, during fracking or, like, something, like, the carbon was being pushed into the ground or, like, used to power the, the oil. And it it was, like, yay, green. <laughs> but, like, yeah, it was just one of those things that was, like, so you're taking the problem and using it to, like, make the problem worse. Yeah. And then being, like, problem solved. Yeah. It's just so crazy yeah. to watch or like see them be like look it's a solution mm-hmm. yeah no that's what um that climate time video that i was talking about that's the the main it's funny and it's a bit and i'm gonna ruin it right now but he's mm-hmm. like just we're not gonna talk about carbon offsets we're gonna talk about cheating on your wife basically what these people are doing is saying that i'm still gonna cheat on my wife but i'm gonna pay this guy to not cheat on his wife and therefore <laughs> there will be less people cheating on their wives but it's like, no, you're still cheating on your wife. So everyone, yeah. as Climate Town says, stop cheating on your wives, please. 
That's all we ask. Um, okay. Number three um, is Western State Petroleum Association's deception campaign, which is when we get into AstroTurf organizations, which is a term you kind of defined earlier, but I'll define it mm-hmm. again. Um, those are just groups that create that are created by whatever industry companies, in this case, oil and gas, to falsely represent grassroots opposition to uh, forward-looking policy on climate change and renewable energy. Um, and so this actually, there are internal documents that show that this was a key component of fossil fuel companies' deception campaign. Um, mm-hmm. And this especially specifically is from a presentation leaked in 2014 from the Western States Petroleum Association. So this is kind of like what you were talking about before. So the the presenter from WSPA, she explained that their plan was to activate a significant number of campaigns and coalitions. And the presentation side literally explains that they had invested in several coalitions that are best suited to drive consumer and grassroots messages to regulators and policymakers. Um, And so she showed 16 fake grassroots groups and campaigns that were orchestrated and funded by WSPA and its allies. Um, So they had names like Fed Up at the Pump, the California Drivers Alliance, um, Californians Against Higher Taxes, and Oregonians for Sound Fuel Policy. And so the WSPA use the like plan to use these groups um, as a network of front groups to um, create like to counter this really forward looking policy from California State, and they were all designed to sound like grassroots public interests groups. Yeah. And they even like made Facebook like kind of like you were saying they made Facebook pages for this, and there was one part where it was like, you know years later looking at the Facebook page, if you clicked on the front company's website for more information, you got redirected to like an oil association. So the attempts were not even that longstanding. Like take down the freaking Facebook page afterwards, but clearly someone just forgot um, and didn't do it. So yeah, so basically the, the reason that they did this was to create this idea this impression of consumer backlash like people that wouldn't want taxes and all of this and also Mm -hmm. like not only does that affect policymakers but it also affects consumers because if you see Mm -hmm. that there's i mean we we promote so much like grassroots work and grassroots work is so important but then on the flip side of that like if you see a group that's fighting and really passionate about um not raising our energy bills or our taxes or whatever, it kind of makes you think like, oh, you know, there are other people that are on the other side of this when in fact there's not. These are just front yeah. organizations. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, yeah, at least two of these front groups, someone is blasting music outside of my house, <laughs> um, launched aggressive public relations campaigns in 2014, including radio ads and billboards. And their efforts were credited with helping to convince 15 Democrats in the California Assembly to argue in June of 2014 that the policy placing transportation fuels under the state's carbon cap should be postponed. So basically, it succeeded in postponing this this whole debate and making even these Democratic lawmakers uh, rethink it. But ultimately, mm-hmm. they the efforts of the group failed. Um, and transportation fuels were included in the emissions limit set up by the state. So it was not successful, but they did try their darndest, and that's kind of enough to make me 
a little angry. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so like when this was called out, the WSPA was like, oh, no, those were just partnerships with these front groups as if they didn't create the groups like, yeah, themselves. Yeah. OK, this is where it gets even crazier. Climate dossier number four forged letters from the coal industry to members of Congress. Um, so this was done by um, well, it was kind of first discovered in that same Waxman-Markey climate bill um, when Congress was debating that in 2009. Um, two weeks prior to the vote, Representative Tom Pereo from Virginia received a letter opposing the legislation from Creciendo Juntos, which was a nonprofit or a Latino organization based in his Charlottesville district. And the letter basically begged him to, it was like, we want to save the environment, whatever, like, be environmentally friendly, but we can't handle, especially like right after the um, recession, we can't handle higher energy bills for, so Mm. think of your constituents um, at this time. That's basically what it was begging him to do. Um, And he didn't actually learn that it was a fraud. He had no reason to think that it was a fraudulent letter until after the vote was cast, um, weeks later, actually. And so actually, um, Representative Pereo was not the only member of Congress to receive a forged letter. Um, Organizations like the NAACP, um, the American Association of University Women, the American Legion, and the Jefferson Area Board on Aging um, were also organizations whose information was used to create fraudulent letters. Um, It was all done by a PR company called Bonner & Associates, which was a lobbying firm subcontracted by another front group, the American Coalition for Clean Coal Electricity, ACCCE, which is harder to say than the whole thing, um, Mm -hmm. which is composed of and funded primarily by coal industry people, of course. Um, So there were 13 letters in total that were discovered. All of these forged letters, they have them in the dossier that you can look at, and they're they're just disgusting. Like they um, they specifically targeted groups that represent minorities, seniors and women. Um, and they were also sent to lawmakers, especially Democratic lawmakers who seemed iffy on the bill and seemed like they would be easily swayed in one way or the other. <laughs> it's also sketchy because Bonner and Associates was hired by the Hawthorne Group, which is like a PR firm for ACCCE. Um through a verbal contract. So nothing was committed to paper, which is really sketchy. Mm, and they blamed it yeah. on like a single employee. They called it like a single rogue employee. But that's not what the case was. They, I mean, who knows? That could have been the case. But they did know that these letters were sent. And it, it, um, they told the ACCCE before the vote was cast, but they didn't bother to tell any of the lawmakers or anyone who had received the letters that they were fraudulent until weeks afterwards. Yeah. So, and Edward Markey, who was the chair of the Select Committee for Energy Independence and Global Warming and also like a co-sponsor of this bill, um, he stated that these subterranean lobbying campaigns where millions of dollars are spent in the cynical attempt to buy the support ideas, sorry, to buy support that ideas don't earn, have become a substitute for an honest exchange of views and distort the playing field away from other Americans longing to have their voices heard. So it's just basically a yeah. whole big old waste of time. Um, 
which is yeah is very frustrating and they also yeah. um like for example with the charlottesville one they had resurrected like a defunct branch of an organization and used the um, information address and logo of like a deceased member of the organization the deceased president and so it was like another level of of grief on top of that for the people that realized their organization's information had been used this is super super messed up and also that person died before this bill was even put into effect so it's obviously you know it's so clear that it was not this person who could have written this letter yeah yeah so that's that's that one um that's kind of one of the most obvious ones and it's something that you could think could fairly easily go under the radar because you know Mm -hmm. it's a fairly short letter on you know maybe a bill that those organizations themselves are not actually paying very close attention to um Mm -hmm. and so it's it's something that's fairly easily hidden like or has a a tough track record but yeah um yeah like the fact that it was done and like there was clear thought behind it and it's just yeah really gross Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's that. Um, number five is Cole's Information Council on the Environment Sham. So before the formation of the ACCCE, U.S. coal companies and their allies formed a short-lived but potent front group in 1991 called Information Council on the Environment ICE. ICE. <laughs> With okay. I don't want I don't mean to giggle at that. That's horrible. But um, <laughs> it's just it's. Like, this just, I think, gives a little tidbit of how many front companies and how much energy and money is being put into this that, like, it feels like you're being attacked at all sides. Like, oh, you can't trust the scientists because you have to, like, really evaluate everything, like, where their money is coming from. You can't trust these people. You can't trust these people. Like, politicians can't trust letters from their constituents. Like, it's just this whole perpetuating this idea that you can't trust anyone and, like, so if you can't trust anyone, you can't believe anything, which uh, delays people believing in climate justice. Yeah. I feel like their main term was just like exhaustion and we're all exhausted at this point. Yeah. And just, yeah, I mean, like, and the doubt that that they've sowed in science, I guess, like, if you just take a second and like really think about the repercussions of that, like, even like, not even with like the climate crisis, like even just with like the pandemic and like oh can we really believe anything like hundreds of thousands of people die because of it Mm -hmm. i guess yeah which is just like like there are real consequences to that right yeah so many different facets of everything yeah and also like it's very easily gives rise to to fascism and it's just really scary yeah, so ice. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not gonna get any better. I'm also gonna keep talking about ice, which is not fun. Um, of course, it's the different ice. But anyways, their strategy was um to reposition global warming as theory, not fact, and to use a spokesman from the scientific community, recognizing that technical sources receive the highest overall credibility rating. So again, this is from like the 1991s, early 90s. Um, they. It's it's essentially the same story over and over again, you know, using money mm-hmm. to um, support scientists to create this idea of manufactured uncertainty um, and just to, like, confuse confuse the public. Um, but I thought this was 
interesting. So um, an ad that was aired in 1991 on the Rush Limbaugh show um, is emblematic of the tone and content of ICE's messaging. Um, they said, stop panicking. I'm here to tell you that the facts simply don't jive with a theory that catastrophic global warming is taking place. Try this fact on for size. Minneapolis is actually has actually gotten colder. So has Albany, New York. Which is just... Also, that I get, I love that they're trying to be hip in like early '90s language on the yeah. Rush Limbaugh show. Um, yeah, and so they're just taking. I, they're yeah, that was a huge thing too. Is taking the term global warming and being like, but these places are colder. Like Trump still does that. He'll be like, well, what happened to all yeah. this global warming? And so it snows once, and suddenly, right? Like, well, if it snows, it can't be on average one degree warmer or whatever right but they would cherry pick this data and so it's like well okay from one year to the next albany and minneapolis had gotten colder cool but even their own internal documents um as they were running this campaign showed a long-term warming trend so they knew that they, mm. what they were sharing was not um completely factual just outliers right exactly um oh this is the part wow this really got to me so they the uh, the documents also showed that the group planned to particularly target two factions of people, um, younger, lower income women, um, which they noted that women, these women, specifically younger, lower income, are more receptive than other audience segments to factual information concerning the evidence of, for global warming. They are likely to be green customers to believe that the earth is warming and to think the problem is serious. However, they are also likely to soften their support for federal legislation after hearing new information on global warming. Um, and the other faction, whatever, demographic of people were older, less educated males from larger households um, who they said were typically um, not active information seekers and would not be likely to be green customers. So aside from just like the sexism <laughs> seeping through these documents i yeah. do think that's something kind of we want to talk about more maybe dedicate an episode to is like the gender gap and um the the ways that like gender norms and priorities i guess are used by prs pr um companies in order to like promote climate inaction this is something that they really think about like who is this ad targeting specifically and I thought that was really interesting with um I mean it makes me really mad but when they're talking about younger women being green customers but being easily swayed about legislation that just like speaks mm -hmm. I feel like to a larger what am I trying to say you know what I mean like it just speaks to a larger problem of um women not being taught to be sure of their own opinions and how that relates to science and politics so mm -hmm. it's easier to get women, even if the like women are more educated on the subject, it's easier to convince them that their legislation ideas and support is wrong. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 And also like if they are green customers to get like caught up in like that, like the personal action and then be like, oh, well, I guess I'm not sure about all the other stuff, but like mm -hmm. I'll use my reusable tote bag to the store. Right, yeah, yeah. Like, or we'll focus entirely on in individual action because it's too overwhelming and there's too much conflicting information to yeah. really get engaged on, like, a 
um, yeah. a political level. Yeah. And it, I mean, especially if people are like spending money to make you doubt yourself. Mm -hmm. That's hard. Yeah. So ICE only lasted, I mean, basically in 1991. And some of the coal industry were disappointed that ICE uh, could not have continued its work um, after its deceptive aims were uncovered, uh, that it was like made clear that it was supported by the fossil fuel industry. So sad for them. In a 1999 letter, Peabody Energy's Fred Palmer wrote, it is unfortunate that ICE did not go forward since the campaign did provoke a, quote, dramatic turnaround in how people viewed the issue of global warming. So. So, sorry, what that. what was that statement issued in? Was that, like... Um, a 1999 letter. He was basically just lamenting okay. that ICE could not have continued because it was made clear that their um, support came from fossil fuel companies. Gotcha. And then number six is um, deception by the ALEC, which I'm sure you've heard of, American yes. Legislative Exchange Council, who are uh, like super right wing lobbying group. Basically, what Alec was able to do, um, it says here, they focused on dismantling at the state level policies that have proven effective in reducing carbon pollution and accelerating the transition to clean energy. Um, so they had a lot of closed door access to public policymakers. And then um, they also developed industry friendly sample legislation that was intended to be used as a template in state legislatures across the country. Um, so I thought that was a really sneaky thing is just to like make a template of what you want the policy to be and then trying to get policymakers to to use that template. And like obviously that frames it just in a way that is incredibly beneficial to fossil fuel interests. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the deception here is essentially the deception that we kind of already know about Alec. I want to like skim over this one a little bit, but Alec is, mm -hmm. I mean, horrifying. Um, their current official uh, position in 2015 obscures climate change by calling it a quote historical phenomenon, ignoring the primary driver of climate change today, which is the burning of fossil fuels. Um, and they assert that the debate will continue on the significance of natural and anthropogenic contributions, which is just like, no, it won't. That's something that's crazy um, and a little bit murderino-esque. Okay, so in this is just a crazy example. In 2014, Alex's annual meeting in Dallas featured a presentation by Joseph Bast, who was the president of Heartland Institute, which like also have a history, you know, of using uh, misrepresenting science and all that. But they, I guess, are best known for posting a billboard likening people who accept climate science to the Unabomber Ted Kaczynski. The, the billboard featured a mugshot of the um, disheveled Kaczynski with the text, I still believe in global warming. Do you? Which was just like, what? That makes no sense. The like, connection between those two, the story of the Unabomber and global warming, I'm not quite sure, but the message is clear that like, he is a criminal and sociopath who believes in global warming. You should yeah. not. Just like, what? Where's yeah. the connection? I don't know. Yeah. It's just like, let's just find people that are generally disliked that like believe a certain thing. Because you could do that for literally any opinion. Right. Probably. Like you could find some despicable person 
that thinks a thing and right I it's just like I don't know <laughs> it's like anytime that someone really wild and uh controversial is a vegan I'm like that doesn't mean that being a vegan is bad or also like but being a vegan does not make you a good person either I feel like that's one yeah. that's brought up a lot like um Moby I don't know maybe I shouldn't say but just like kind of controversial people there would be this idea of like oh but you know they're a vegan so they must like care about other people and or like the world and I'm like mm. yeah I mean yes that can be a sign that you're a caring empathetic person but not necessarily um yeah yeah I mean there's also like a billion reasons to to be like you could be a vegan for attention yeah you could be a vegan to prove say like use it as a thing like oh look at me I'm doing a good thing like there's lots of motivations for like like whatever like beneficial or like quote-unquote good lifestyle choices yeah which I we're guess. talking about all of this next week this is our subject for next week <laughs> every episode is like such a good lead into the next one yeah for our, these couple this run of episodes right so yeah we're gonna talk a lot about the history of veganism and um white veganism white supremacy and veganism all of these like kind of interconnected issues um and some that have been coming up more recently so yeah if you have any questions about that we'll be posting about it on our social media but um i think it'll be a really interesting conversation but all that to basically mm-hmm. say yes you can find a bad person who does a good thing yeah. for any anything ever yeah well like i feel like it's a always a big thing that like ted bundy was a really big republican and like was really active mm-hmm. in like republican party politics and stuff hmm. Which, like, I feel like it's kind of funny to, like, say that. But, like, also it's, like, okay, well, like, that's just, like, a crazy circumstance. Right. Just because, like, Ted Bundy was a Republican doesn't mean every Republican is a serial killer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, I just, like, see people. I've, like, seen bumper stickers of, like, Ted Bundy was a Republican. Yeah. Which is similar, just, like, (laughs) I don't know. Right. It's, like, you definitely don't want him on your team, obviously, but... Yeah, you don't want to claim him. Yeah. It's interesting that they would even just, like, try to do that. So, no surprise, going back to this annual meeting where they're talking about the Unabomber, um, that the sponsors of that annual meeting included the ACCCE, Chevron, ExxonMobil, and Peabody Energy. Um, So... Yeah, just continuation of everything is funded by fossil fuel industry and they have so much money. Um, But even in 2015, Alec continued to distribute sample legislation to state legislators um, that can they can easily introduce to oppose EPA carbon emission standards and attempt to roll back existing regulations and successful renewable energy standards, all those kinds of things. And as we know, and unfortunately, in the five and a half years since this was published, a lot of that has happened. Um, a lot of EPA regulations were rolled back in during Trump's term. And well, hopefully, I think Biden's going to be going back on a lot of those. It's still like it's a lot of time, essential time that has been lost. Um, mm-hmm. So, yep. 
keep Alec in mind. And the last one, going through all of this, I was like, wow, I can't believe they haven't talked about the Global Climate Coalition. But then I got to the last one and they did. So this is all about the Global Climate Coalition's 1995 primer on climate change science. Um, And the Global Climate Coalition was created like right in that, I think in 1988 or right in the early 90s, it was like a coalition of all of these fossil fuel companies, uh, basically, again, trying to spread misinformation. I know we talked about this a little bit in like the Democratic-Republican divide and um, the way of thinking about climate change. I feel like a lot of that Mm -hmm. um, came out of this late 80s, early 90s and beyond work, I guess, from the fossil fuel industry to um, really target Republican lawmakers and um, present this disinformation so that climate action became and just the idea of climate change became a partisan issue. So the Global Mm -hmm. Climate Coalition um, had a huge part in that. It's quite complicated, to be honest. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's also, again, just kind of the same story over and over again. So um, this 1995 primer, um, which was called Predicting Future Climate Change, a primer, um, was written in 1995 by a fossil fuel company scientist for the benefit of fossil fuel industry coalitions. Um, mm-hmm. And it was leaked to the New York Times after surfacing in a lawsuit filed by the auto industry against the state of California's efforts to limit um, vehicles' carbon emissions. So um even though the Global Climate Coalition presented itself as an umbrella trade organization for coordinating business participation in the international debate on global climate change policy, we now know that its real purpose was to oppose mandatory reductions in climate emissions. Um, and so even parts of the primer like examined and debunked um, existing contrarian science theories, which is interesting because they continued to fund um, doctors like Willie Soon for more than two decades, um, Mm -hmm. even though it was part of they had a clear refutation of the solar variability argument, um, which is what Dr. Willie Soon is really known for. So Eventually, you know, in the late 90s, some like the GCC's dismissal of the reality of human caused climate change uh, just became less tenable. Um, And so companies responded by withdrawing from the coalition like BP left in 97, Shell in 98. And upon withdrawing, BP stated that the time to consider the policy dimensions of climate change is not when the link between greenhouse gases and climate change is conclusively proven but when the possibility cannot be discounted and is taken seriously by the society of which we are a part. We and BP have reached that point in 1997. Mm. Um, Yeah. So around this time, the GCC goes into a strategic restructuring, which is very similar to what the tobacco industry did, kind of gave up its lobbying arm and um, its wing devoted to promoting misleading science about the links between tobacco and disease, and then eventually disbanded in 2002. Um, But it's just, uh, like, it just shows the decades and decades of deception and misinformation um, fronted by the fossil fuel industry and where they're, like, dedicating their money. So um, a couple of tips from the 
um, Union of Concerned Scientists on holding fossil fuel industry accountable. Um, they said there's no comprehensive U.S. federal policy to address the problem, even, um, you know, with all these communities affected by climate change. And so mm-hmm. the main goal is to not only get these companies to admit to sowing doubt, but also to hold them responsible um, for what they've done. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so a couple of ways that they said to do that. Um, we should expect these companies to stop disseminating misinformation about climate change. It's kind of the the base thing. Um, mm-hmm. And then also they should support um, fair and cost-effective policies to reduce global, global warming and uh, emissions, reduce emissions from current operations, and update their business models to prepare for global um, future global limits on emissions, um, which like we have the Paris Climate Agreement and things like that, mm-hmm. uh, climate policy. They should also pay for their share of the costs of climate damages and preparedness, like you were talking about with fracking. There's so many costs that um, yeah, are associated with that that if they don't feel directly responsible for it and can't be proven to be directly responsible for it, they're not going to pay for it. Yeah. And the last one was to fully disclose the financial and physical risks of climate change to their business operations, which they have still not done. Um, Yeah. And so the last note was just that a global call to action, including efforts such as shareholder engagement, divestment campaigns, consumer pressure, and litigation – may be needed to bring about this transformation. And I would just say that that is absolutely what is needed. Um, I feel like we've seen in the last few years, especially like in uh, universities and maybe more climate-minded organizations doing divestment campaigns um, and this idea of like consumer pressure and shareholders Mm -hmm. caring about um, what they're invested in. All of that is like leading on to actually creating change like there's this whole we were talking about hot take before they're big on trolling oil companies which i think is a very (laughs) good thing to do um because that consumer pressure really does make a difference and just like not letting them show their faces in their um attempts at greenwashing and downplaying their role in the climate issue is is really important so yeah 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 because it i i love like following them because it is like there's so many like exxon mobile tweets that like they're just like this is a fucking joke like you're kidding like this is hilarious like, right because it once you read it like that it, it it is like it's just funny like it seems like what they're tweeting is ironic but it's like not no yeah and they have so much money <laughs> it's not like yeah their unpaid intern is is doing these tweets it's yeah, no. It's, it's a PR professional. A These people that have been working on this yeah. for decades and just generally being asshats. So yeah, that was a lot longer than I intended and a little bit um <laughs> more involved than I I thought, but I just think these dossiers are really interesting and I feel like it goes back to a lot of just what we've been talking about and just this idea of like exhaustion and wanting you to just like kind of wanting you the average consumer to just like give up and accept yeah. like what is happening when you have to like stand up to these these sorts of things and these injustices yeah yeah i mean i like cuz it is like they're and they know 
what's what's up and they're specifically making everything confusing and exhausting like you said Mm -hmm. and i at least for me if i'm like okay someone is paying for me to be confused right now Mm -hmm. like that personally is motivating to like get to the bottom of it and be like okay like why is this confusing or like why is there a debate around this like why like someone paid for this to be controversial yeah like that idea to me is is motivating to right like understand why and like get to the bottom of why people think the things that they think yeah and yeah why we trust the sources that we do too mm-hmm. yeah yeah all right it's time for the down if you have anything i do have something <gasps> that isn't like any like tv show but i'm adopting kittens it's the we most important our- information of all <laughs> we got our application approved last night and they're two really really sweet kitten kittens and their sisters um and I'm going to pick them up in a couple hours. So um, in between intense, like, <laughs> fossil fuel, like, oil things, I'll, I <laughs> will do, like, a kitten tax on our stories yes. and share some of some cute kitten pics and videos um, this week. But they're really cute. I'm really excited. Um, you know, I feel like at a time like this, like, it's always like exciting when something actually really positive happens. Yeah. So I'm really excited. When you sent me the photo of them <laughs> yesterday, I was like showing it to my roommates and they were like, wow, I we should get a cat. We keep talking about it, which we are not in a place to get a cat. But yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely going to need that this week. So we'll be posting that. Lots. Outworld's burning. Yeah. So I, I don't have names yet. So I'm, I'm going to... I'm like brainstorming ideas, but, but yeah, that's what's exciting in my life right now is that like in like two or three hours, I'm going to go pick up some kittens and then not get anything done for the rest of the day. Because you'll have kittens. (laughs) How old are they? Yes. Uh, I think they're like a couple months old. Mm -hmm. I need to, I need to clarify, uh, some of their like medical stuff. Um, but yeah, they're just like a couple months old. Um, they're not like super super tiny but like uh they're they're still really little they're so. really cute like they're they're like uh I like went the other day to like meet them and like they would play but then like they got really sleepy so they're just like really small and like get tired fast it was really really cute so I'm so excited you're so, getting yeah. two also so they can yeah play. like that wasn't necessarily what, like, the original plan was, but, like, I feel like it'll be good for them. Like, I f- feel like cats do well with a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we're getting two. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, I don't think it'll be that much more work. Like, once you have, like, cat infrastructure in right, place. Right, yeah. It's not hard to add a second, so. It's just more. Yeah, so we'll have two little cats. Oh. And... I can't wait for updates. We'll get updates next week. It'll just be cat updates. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, that's good to have a non, like, media update. I don't really have any. I don't really have anything. I don't know what I've been... Oh, I watched Okja, finally. Have you seen that (gasps) movie? Ah, that was going to be one that, uh, if you didn't bring it up, I was definitely going to bring that movie up. 
uh, next week. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about it next week. Um, yeah. yeah. If if you haven't seen Okja, watch it this week. Mm-hmm. It's on Netflix. Have like a movie discussion. It's such a good movie. Yeah. It was just, it really hit all the right notes. And um, I was just trying to have yeah. like a totally calm solo weekend and stuff. And that was the perfect thing. And I also, I knew quite a bit about that movie, but I didn't know most of the, like, who most of the actors were going to be. And so recognizing so many mm. people was a really interesting surprise, especially Paul Dano. Yeah. I love him. I just think he's so talented. Um, he has a cool little role in, like, uh, yeah, the the young girl and just the, the special effects and uh, the, like, politicalness of it while it's still being like a really engaging story without like diluting anything down it's just it's a really hard thing to do and they do it really well yeah yeah and I I think just yeah the idea of like taking advantage of like uh different regions of the world and then like yeah like benefiting from factory farming but like it's like I don't know like the kind of I guess like sci-fi aspect of it yeah. like makes it a little bit easier to digest um yeah it's such a good movie and like ups and downs it's very sweet and also a tiny bit escapist even though it's not totally like it's still very relevant and political and tough but like just I think the special effects element of it and like the gorgeous scenery both urban and um super rural yeah. is really Cool. So yeah, recommend that. Watch it for next week. We'll talk about it more. Yeah. Yes. Definitely this week, go to our show no- notes on our website, worldisburning.com. Uh, I'm definitely going to be adding a couple of like kind of like bonus content things that I just like didn't get into. Definitely follow us on Instagram for very important cat content. Mm-hmm. Uh, World is burning. No G. Um, also follow us on Twitter at the same handle. And Especially since we're talking about, like, veganism, vegetarianism next week. Uh, if you have any thoughts on that, uh, email us at worldisburningpod at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And we'll see you next Wednesday. See you next Wednesday.